Thank you for listening to the following film's podcast. Today I'm joined by cinematographer Jesse Feldman. I had him on the show to discuss his work on the AMC series Interview with the Vampire. All episodes of season one are currently available to stream on AMC+. Big thanks to Bookmans for sponsoring this episode, and thanks to Fort Worth for letting us use their song at the end. If you'd like to connect with the show, the best place to find us online is at followingfilms.com or on Twitter by following at followingfilms. Please leave us a review and follow the show on Spotify. It really does help us. You can also support the podcast by going to anchor.fm slash followingfilms slash support. For more information about Interview with the Vampire, go to amc.com. Hope you enjoy the show. Perfect. Got it. Yeah. I just have to put you on our okay list before I can do that. So now I will leave you to it. How you doing today, Jesse? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Um, so I finally, because of this interview, took my wife's advice and watched um, Interview with the Vampire. It's something I had, there's so much to watch now. Yeah. And this is one that grabbed a lot of people. I heard nothing of the good things about it, but I had just been putting it off for a little bit. And then knowing that I was going to have a chance to speak with you, I just moved it up to the top of the queue, started watching it. And man, this is just quite an achievement just from not only the visual side of this, but the performances, the writing, this is just top to bottom, a great show. So um, yeah, can you talk a little much. bit about how you got attached to this and what it was like to take on such iconic material? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I was just honored to be involved in it. You know, um, I got involved through another DP friend of mine, Brandon Trost, that originally um, kind of recommended me to the uh, line producer. Um and then uh, one of the directors who uh, was going to do one of my blocks, who ended up not doing it, recommended me also. Uh, and I think my agents also submitted me for it. So it was kind of a, you know, my name got thrown at them enough for them to be like, oh, who's this guy? <laughs> and then how? what was your relationship like with uh, Interview with the Vampire prior to working on it? I had not read the novels. Um, I had seen the movie. Um, okay. And I knew the movie, uh, but I hadn't like been inundated in the Anne Rice universe um, that much. Is it something that you remedied once you were coming on board, or did you not want? Yeah, to... I mean, I mean, you know, we we were kind of surrounded by it, so you couldn't <laughs> help but but you know <laughs> be around it. Um, you know, and and we, you know, I did watch the movie again, obviously, and but it wasn't it wasn't like a guidebook for us or anything. You know, it was it was a way the story had been told before. And this was a new way to tell the story was, was my approach, you know? Um, yeah. The only sort of visually connective tissue that I felt between the two was something that I remembered in the original interview with the vampire, they used CGI in a really effective way where they're using it to extend sets and things like that, that you wouldn't have expected to be used in that. And that's something that I felt in this where I, I'm not sure where that line is, but there's certain things that I think might be digitally created as far as some backdrops and things like that um, to give more scope and kind of the is Dubai. I'm assuming some of that is just the uh, green screen or I don't know if you actually shot there. I have no idea. I can't. The lines have just gotten harder for me to pick up on at this point. Right. And and I think that is that's what we want. Like we want it to not be clear, you know, what <laughs> what is CGI, what's real. So 
uh, kudos to Ted Ray, our visual effects master and his team. Um, the, you know, when we shot in the French quarter itself in new Orleans, um, a lot of that is, is real. Um, yeah. you know, we tried to shoot angles that didn't show modern things. Um, we switched out a lot of stuff. Like when we did need to see modern things that they, that was painted out later. Um, but a lot of that stuff on those streets was, was sort of real, um, made with little bits here and there on our back lot, which we had this massive back lot built, um, in new Orleans. That was like, it was just so cool. Like, like Mara, the production designer and her team did such an amazing job building it. And those all had green screens, like deep back, but it was like a two block long, uh, back lot block and a half or so. And it was like sort of a, a T shape. So there were three massive green screens on the end of each, each street to allow for set extensions. Um, and I agree. I think they did an awesome job just making it pretty seamless in Dubai. We didn't go to Dubai. Um, itself that was on stage in new orleans as well um and we we had a uh backdrop from roscoe that we ended up using for the daytime stuff um and then for night we went green screen right and which of those it seems like there's really unique challenges in both where you have this idea that in you're shooting in the French quarter and you have to mask, you know, the modern aspects of it. So it almost feels like that'll push your camera in certain directions at times. Um, but then when you walk into a set, that's just, uh, beautifully designed and that can be something where there's far more options of how to shoot that, that it feels like that could be more daunting in a way where there's just the sort of when you're shooting in a natural space and existing space that you can you it feels like that is being you're being pushed in a specific direction and you how you have to shoot it is it more difficult to shoot on a set or that's so controlled or is it when you're kind of out in the wild i get what you're saying i mean i think you could view it as you know when you're limited you have less choices to make so it's easier in that sense um i get right that. choice feels more obvious maybe yeah yeah i find it the opposite though where if you have any choice available it's easier because then you're not like your creativity can just run, you know, mm. and, you know, and, and, you know, as a filmmaker, you're constantly making lots of decisions and lots of compromises and like working with the problem that's in front of you, you know, and solving it right there and then. And so there is a certain excitement involved in like location work where you, where you don't have as much to work with or like, well, these are the parameters so we got to make this work. And that's fun in its own way. I find it more rewarding when you can do whatever you want, you know, like where, where you have this great back lot and you can look any direction. And, you know, I mean, even, even on the back lot, you're still limited by certain things, you know, like you're trying not to shoot into the green screen on every shot because then that gets very expensive later. You know, like sure. you do have to keep that in mind and do have to kind of realize like, okay, what is this scene about? Do we need to do this? you know, is this where we want to spend that money? And then, you know, Ted, our visual effects supervisor would often tell us like, well, you're, you're in for a dime, you're in for a dollar, or he had some phrase like that, that probably made more sense when he said it. Uh, But, you know, the idea was like, well, we're already creating this world for this scene. So use it, you know, like, don't be afraid to use it. And, and that was nice to, you know, on, on every budget level of every show, you're always 
trying to save money and you're always conscious of it, you know, like you can't let it, it handicap you, of course, but it's a consideration, you know, so you have to think about it. And, and you also have to think like, well, you know, you don't want to shoot a whole show into a green screen if, if you don't have to, at least we didn't for this show, you know, we tried to do things as practically as possible. Um, and overall we, we really did. Well, it does, it, it feels that way. It feels like this, even though I know that it's not possible, some of the stuff here, you're just caught up in the performances and it's not distracting in that way, where I think sometimes you can have a film or show that gets so clever in its execution that it becomes distracting. And I feel like this is absolutely the decisions that are being made. They feel like they're in support of the narrative and in support of performance. Cause I never felt like while there are some really beautiful and interesting camera moves and work here, it always feels like it has the emotional underpinning behind it. Thank you. I mean, that's, that's great to hear. You know, that's what we're going for. I mean, the, the actors were so good and like, just so yeah poignant and everything they would do that it just made our job easy and like sit back and be a little bit more subtle and don't feel like we have to, you know, hit the nail on the head crazy hard and just let it be, you know? And, and it's worth saying too, that, that they were all so nice and like, like Jacob and Sam are just stand up humans and, and just great actors to work with. I mean, th- this is some of my favorite parts of this are the just domestic side of things with this and that there's those two bouncing off of each other and figuring out how they're creating this little family together and it's yeah. just absolutely hilarious at times and at other times it's heartbreaking and other times it's um really moving and personal and it's it's really hard to jump between something that can be as campy as this is at times but something that packs an emotional punch like it does and you talk a little bit about striking the thematic balance in this because it's something that i think could lean easily in a thousand different directions and it really doesn't feel like it does yeah i mean you know it's a it's a story about humans right it's right. it's even though they're they're vamp it's a story about vampires but really it's a story about humans that like just happen to you know kill people for their blood and such uh and and i think that was that really came down from roland jones the, the showrunner and because he you know, the writing was so clear on the page that that's what it was about. You know, like, yes, there was some gore. Yes, we're like in this vampiric world and and there is some of that like fun stuff to it. It's not ignoring that, but like Anne Rice's story was about the humans, you know, it was about the people, um, even though they're vampires. Uh, so that was like, ultimately each scene, you know, we'd try and think about, okay, well, what is this about? you know, what does this scene mean for Louis or Lestat? Like what, what are they trying to say here? What are they feeling? And just tackle it from that perspective, you know, and, and all the other like vampire stuff, which, you know, yeah, it could have gone campy. It could have gone into that world. Like it's there, you know, and, and we're not ignoring it, but we're focusing on the emotions of the scene and of the characters and like all our decisions are, are off of that. And could you talk a little bit about, um, just capturing those performances and seeing being on stage and witnessing those things. And um, cause some of the work here that's being done is very overt, but quite a bit of it is really small and it's really intimate. The work that's being done. And for something that's on a, as big a scale as this is, it is those quiet 
sort of tender moments, the reflective moments of this that I think really are what anchor this and what get me going to the next episode. Yeah, I mean, I think it's about just understanding how to take, you know, like if if an actor gives a performance that has a very, very small, like understated beat to it that says more than anything, you know, it's it's about like, okay, well, from my perspective, it's about, okay, how do I light this face and how do I light this place in a way that's going to show that and a way that's going to mirror that, you know, and like, what is that tone that the actor is trying to get across? How can I light them in a way that's going to emphasize that as much as I can from my side of things? And and I think much like they can have a performance that is over the top or very subtle, I can have a lighting style that's very over the top or very subtle. So I'm trying to match them there. You know, um, if if an actor gives a little nod or a little head turn or a little blink or whatever that, you know, physical manifestation of that understated uh, emotional beat is, if I can light them in a way that like just shows that just barely and just emphasizes it and is like just dark enough, but with, you know, a little highlight to see it or something like that, that's my goal, you know? So how to get there is, you know, that's a much longer discussion and, you know, it's probably an impossible one to do because it's, it's so scene dependent and location dependent and everything, you know, and blocking dependent too. I mean, the decisions you make in blocking are hugely impactful yeah. in terms of, of what the lighting ends up being and, and what the background ends up being and everything else. So I'm trying to keep it in mind from the moment we start blocking the scene, what I'm trying to do here and, and what, how I want it to look and what I'm trying to show and, and work that in, in a way that works for everybody else too, you know, cause I don't want to, I don't want to make an actor that, no, you go stand here, you know, turn like this. Like if that doesn't work for them, of course, you know, you have to let them have their free reign to, to explore that character for themselves too, and see what's going to happen. You know, and sometimes it's just reacting to what happens, you know, sometimes it's, you make a big plan and, and it, it totally goes south and, and something else happens. Somebody wants to do something and, and you want to let them do that. So great. Let's figure out a new way to do it. Like, and and you do and and when it comes together and when you're watching the takes and it it really looks good and it just like it makes you feel what they're trying to say visually that's I've won like that's that's great it's it's almost as if the, if you're doing your job well it's invisible it's not causing a it's not calling attention to itself that it just feels like a natural piece of what's going on totally and so could you talk a little bit about just doing a period film like this and you've your work has been so all over the map as far as um uh the the styles and what you've what the work that you've done and just um doing a costume drama essentially at this point it's not merchant ivory but it's not far off from it really in a lot of ways i mean that was one thing that definitely attracted me to this project um amongst a, a list of other things, but the fact that it was kind of different than what I had done before. And it was a chance to show something different and explore something different. I mean, I, I think every job I do, and, and even when I was in operating like this, this held true for that too, but definitely as a DP, like every job I do, I'm learning a language to speak that is that job. And sure. And every, every language is different and every job is different. And so like 
you know, when I say language, it's like, well, what tools am I using? What's my vocabulary? Am I using heavy backlight? Am I not? You know, what's the lenses? What's the camera? You know, all these decisions that that are made that come into being a cinematographer. And in the beginning, when you read the script, you're like fumbling through the language, you know, like, you know how to say basic things, but you don't really know how to speak fluently. And then you're really learning the language throughout the whole process, I think. And and it's funny because once you're in the middle of a project and you feel like you're really in the flow of it, you're like, oh, man, remember when I did that thing on the last job? Like, I would never think to do that now, you know, or like, it's just so foreign. Like at that point, that's another foreign language that like, I have forgotten how to speak. Like, my brain really has room for one visual language fluently at a time. And I can pull bits and pieces from other things and like vocabulary from other languages and this and that. But ultimately, I've convinced my brain that like, this is what I'm doing for this project. Because that's what is appropriate. That's what feels right. That's what tells that story to me and hopefully to the viewers in the end. Uh, and then, you know, you finish the job and you go on the next job and you throw it all out and come up with something new. So I think it's important, like, to do that as a cinematographer, because you shouldn't be speaking the same language for two different stories. Like, unless the stories are the exact same story, which they probably aren't. You know, you should you should really allow your brain to to figure out something new and, and not it may not be completely new. It may have a lot of aspects of, of the last language you spoke, but it's, you know, it's a new story and it's a new language. Well, and I think that that makes a lot of sense. And there's certain DPs that seem to develop a very specific style and they will fit that style to whatever they're doing. And I guess that that's the director that's hiring them or, you know, the production that's hiring them and saying, we want you to apply this specific style, this thing that you do to this project. Um, but it doesn't always feel right necessarily. And there's, and it just can feel off sometimes. And I, I always appreciate artists that it's tough to pin down what their style is, what their signature is. There's things that you probably do in all of your work that you go back to, that's something that you love to do that maybe we don't notice um, from an outside perspective, but there's can be this sometimes signatures that show up over and over again in people's work and they call attention to themselves. Then again, there's other times that it just flat out works. Um, you know, if, if I go see a Spike Lee movie and he doesn't have that tracking shot in it where the it's mounted to the camera on the actor, it would just feel off. It wouldn't feel like I watched a Spike Lee movie at that point. Um, so there are times when it just becomes a part of that visual language. So, um, is that something that you are, you're considering then that idea of not pigeonholing yourself at this point? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to pigeonhole myself into one style or one genre or one type of project. Um, I'd love to jump back and forth between vastly different things, you know, um, you know, not, not to say there aren't like genres I really enjoy doing or something like that. Um, and I can definitely have fun on a project that is similar to a previous project, you know, sure. and, I, and I will say too, like some of these ideas I have are, are more conceptual and like in practice, like maybe I end up doing something just cause I like it. Like, but I try to, I try to fight that, you know, like. Today's episode of the following films podcast is brought to you by Bookman's. This week I went into Bookman's and I was looking for a film, 
something that reminded me of a film festival, be it a film that got its start in a film festival or something that was perhaps about the experience of going to a film festival. I went over and looked through the 4K discs and the Blu-rays and the DVDs. Nothing was really jumping out immediately. So I went over to the box set section and I came across Ingmar Bergman's cinema. If you're not familiar, Bergman was a master storyteller who startled the world with his stark intensity and naked pursuit of the most profound metaphysical and spiritual questions. The struggles of faith and morality, the nature of dreams, and the agonies and ecstasies of human relationships. Bergman explored all of these subjects in films ranging from comedies, whose lightness and complexity belie their brooding hearts to groundbreaking formal experiments and excruciatingly intimate explorations of family life. Arranged as a film festival, with opening and closing nights, bookending double features and centerpieces, this selection spans six decades and 39 films, including such celebrated classics as The Seventh Seal, Persona, and Fanny and Alexander, alongside previously unavailable works like Dreams, The Right, and Brink of Life. It's also accompanied by a 248-page book with essays on each film. This particular box set has been something of a white whale for my collection, something I've had my eye on for years, and I've just never felt the need to pull the trigger on it. But then I walked into Bookman's and there it was. And the price was so incredibly reasonable, I had to pick it up. This is something that I've been wanting to dive into for a long time because with uh, Bergman's filmography, I have a lot of blind spots and I'm really excited to dive in and um, learn more about his work because every time I've gone and watched one of his films, I'm always struck by how his work has been so influential that you can go back and look at these films and you'll see images or themes or just these kind of ideas that he brings up or that he executes in a way that have had just this profound impact on filmmaking. And you start to see, I guess, what feel like tropes later on, but this is the source. This is where they came from. And it's just really fun to go back and uh, dive into this work. And so I'm really excited to start going and seeing some of these films that I've never seen before. And so was able to get this at Bookman's and you should go to Bookman's too and see what you might uncover. Remember Bookman's has your cool covered. Enjoy the show. I try to make sure like, wait, am I doing this because I like it or am I doing this because it's appropriate for the story? You know, like, I think, I think it's important to keep questioning myself, you know, um, and then the decisions end up more appropriate through that process too, of just self-questioning. And do you try to remain open in the day? Um, to maybe to find something completely new that you wouldn't have thought of. That's just totally. that's being present. A hundred percent. And that happens so often, you know, and, and whatever that is, like that could be, you know, Oh, the it's cloudy today. So it's a different look, you know, it, it could sure. be uh, we were going to this location, but something happened and now we have to shoot at this part of the location. So, okay. Totally different approach. It could be something like, you know, the director had an idea this morning that was just different. And then you run with it. You know, it, it could also be you're lighting a shot. And and like one thing I like to do with with the crew members who are who want to do this and are open to do this is 
assuming we have the time and assuming like everybody's in a good mood that day, I'll go up to someone and I'll just be like, Hey, what would, how would you improve this shot? You know, like, like give me a little input here, like be involved in the process. Um, you know, and, and obviously this happens more often with my keys. Like I'm asking my gaffer this question often, you know, um, but I think it's fun to sometimes, you know, ask a second AC, what would you do to this shot? You know, and, and let them have a little input and, and maybe it's the best idea ever that I didn't think of. I don't know. You'll uh, still get credit for it in the end. <laughs> exactly. You know, and maybe, maybe it's not a good idea. And I can say, you know, like, oh, that's a cool idea. You know, I think, uh, I think we're going to stick with what we're doing, but you know, thanks. And I don't know. I think that's a fun back and forth. And I think it's, it's good to challenge yourself to take an idea from some. Absolutely. And do you, in, in the idea of collaboration, when you're working on a series where you're handing off the baton between DPs and directors between episodes, can how do you have that consistent look throughout it, but still give people the space to, you know, have bring their creativity to it? Right. And and it's actually crazy that we've we've been talking for however long we've been talking, and I haven't mentioned David Tattersall yet, who uh who is the other DP on the show. And he shot he shot blocks one and two and I shot three and four. Right. Um and he did an amazing job on the show. Like he he really made that world um in the first two episodes. Um and our relationship was awesome. Like I enjoyed it so much. It's it's probably the the relationship I've enjoyed the most with with uh, a DP where you're both shooting the same show. And he really gave me all the freedom in the world. Like he wanted me to just do whatever I wanted to do and whatever I thought appropriate. And so I think there's an element of trust that is important in that relationship. Um, I think it depends on who the people are. Like also like, you know, that trust has to be earned in a way or founded or something. Cause, cause if you just, you know, give two people absolute freedom to do whatever they want. They might not necessarily do cohesive things. You know, I think, I think, you know, it is our job as DPs on the same show to be doing similar things somewhat, you know, maybe there are story elements that come in in an episode that allow for some, some a different change, you know, like when Claudia came in to the story, the, you know, Louis Lestat's worlds get flipped upside down. Yep. So the camera started moving a lot more. Like we used a lot more steady cam in those episodes, like the circular movement a lot more. And it was sort of like, it was not the same as, as the first two episodes, like, but it was, it was called for by the story, you know, like it was motivated. Um, so, you know, it's sometimes I think of the style of a show trying to be scene specific and character specific and episode specific and story specific rather than just like a paintbrush over the whole season, you know? And, and that is something that I think shows are less successful if it's just a paintbrush style, you know, and we could have, we could have had a paintbrush style that, you know, you establish in the first episode and you just do the same thing throughout, but I don't think it would have been as, as effective, you know, cause it, it doesn't grow with the characters and it doesn't change as the characters change. Uh, so in terms of the each episode being its own thing, I think we both did that in terms of like the camera work and the lighting mimicking that, you know, as, as the story changed, but we're still in the same world. And I think we, we understand that and we try to keep within our language that we've learned, you know, for this job and like 
not like things in ways that stand out inappropriately, you know? Um, yeah. And then there's certain things like, okay, the Dubai world is the same interview that comes back in every episode, you know, and, right. and we each shot our own Dubai worlds for our own episodes. But so that was a clear thing. where like, okay, we have this set and the other sets too, like, we're not going to take wildly different approaches to a set and just have it look totally different, you know, throughout. And, and it was also like Bob Bates, our gaffer, who's amazing. And James Self, our key grip, like it was their job too, to keep Dave and I honest between each other, you know, because they're there for the whole season. So if, if we're approaching a new set, it's like, okay, well, who lit it first? And then like, let's, let's take that into account in terms of how, how this approach is, is for that set, you know, and sometimes it was Dave and sometimes it was me. And so we, we would both keep track of what the other one was doing. And obviously looking at dailies and looking at stills and everything to see how the other one approached each set. So when we then got in that set, we were, you know, we weren't taking a huge left turn, you know, unless it made sense story-wise. No, that's, that's actually really interesting. And it made me think of, um, I'm spacing the artist's name now, um, who was well known for underpainting. And it was a, there was always a painting underneath the painting that he would do. And he begins with a V, I think. I can't, I'm, I don't know why I'm spacing this offhand. Mm-hmm. And, but he would always do these paintings and there would be entire objects that were never shown as a part of it. But it was foundationally something that was always a part of the piece, even though to the viewer, you know, to the person you walked in, it, you couldn't see it. But he, felt that that was the foundation that needed to be there underneath. And it's almost like you have this thing where you're doing layers on top of layers on top of layers where you can, I, I could be wrong on this, but influence each other back and forth that you could see, okay, this is what was initially done. Now I'm going to take my spin on it. They could look at something you did and say, oh, I like that. And I can add kind of, con- it's a continuing language. I think so. I think, I think it was like that, you know, and, and maybe slightly more so in terms of like, me watching what David did just because he he started the series. Right. Um but like yeah I think it did go both ways. And like, you know, there were there were times where I was just like very humbled by the fact that like it is a two-way road. And like I mean David's resume is is uh you know leap years beyond mine. And and he shot just some incredible movies. So that was just very humbling for me and very like cool. <laughs> Well, I think that's how you end up um, getting to that place. It's by that being open and seeing the things that are happening around you and having that back and forth and having those collaborations. The the artists that I tend to really like and that you hear, um, I don't know, things like that about, they're, they're artists that do work well with others. You know, it's, life's too short to work with assholes at this point in time. Yeah. So um, can you talk a little bit about the uh, what I assume was an unintentional parallel for how long this must have taken. I'm assuming years it would have been in pre-production to get something like this rolled out, and it became a pandemic story in a lot of ways. This really this story of Louis and Lestat and even Claudia being trapped in this house together and being isolated from the world and finding other connections to themselves outside of it. It really did feel like there was a lot of parallels to the, you know the last three years. Um, that probably were not there when this was initially you know, being thought of. Yeah. I mean, you know, I guess a lot of that is just really from a script and story yeah. standpoint. Um, 
you know, which, which obviously I, I'm not involved in. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of parallels between that. And especially, you know, when they sort of like go into themselves and, and hibernate essentially, um, you know, in episode five or so, um, yeah, it is, it is an interesting parallel. Well, I remember reading the interview with the vampire. I'm 46. I read the first book. I think it was in eighth grade when I picked it up. And the thing that attracted me to the story was the outsider. They're not feeling like, you know, there's a version of yourself that you present to the world. And then there's the reality of what happens behind closed doors. And I think most kids, most adolescents go through that to some degree where they feel like they have to present a side of themselves to the world outside. And that was something that was really connected with me when I was a kid. But then you take that to a step further as an adult, as a parent and seeing that and the way that we have our insulated little family, the way that we are behind closed doors and the way we are in the world. And they're very different from one another. And this, then you layer in the pandemic and all these things. And this, what could be just a horror story is just something that's really does connect to humanity because it's at an arm's length because it's not directly about it it becomes absolutely about it to me and i'm just wondering if that was uh one if not the pandemic element of it if that other part of that was something that drew you in as well yeah totally and and i think like you know there's a connection to the gay story in this to that as sure. well you know and and louis in her struggle with who he is you know uh both as a gay man and as a vampire and and what that is you know and, and i think everything you're talking about is is similar to this outsider feel of it which is why i think the story connects with so many people um and another reason why i was very interested in it like i've always been very interested in stories about outsiders um and representation of outsiders and i think i think that's like again something that i was very interested in showing you know well, I'm, I just love that they took what was subtext and made it just unabashedly text. You know, something that it's just, it's right there on the front yeah. now. It's not something that's, um, you, you assume it, this is what the nature of this relationship is, but it's not explicit in here. It is just right there. And I, yeah. I love that in my lifetime, I've seen that transition of how a story like this was told, um, you know, with two of the biggest movie stars in the world at the time. And how that version of this meant a lot, you know, to a lot of people because it was subtext and it was very clear subtext, but it wasn't explicit. And now you can just be fucking explicit. And I love for it. all the backstepping we've done, I'm glad that that's a step forward that we've made now. Yes, I love it. I'm I'm so I'm so proud to be part of progress. Just like here it is, enjoy. <laughs> I, I mean, it could have gone further in my mind, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. I mean, it's it. It, again, it's just, do you, how much do you care about these characters? You know, it's not, a, it, this is, I'm glad we're at a point now where in my mind, and it's just the old man in me, where I'm looking at this and saying that, look how far we've come, because it's almost secondary. It just, it doesn't, it's not what it's about, the fact that these are two gay men. It's, that's just, it just is a thing in the story. And it's not a talking point that's really I think that would be discussed if this was an original work that just came out today that we were seeing through the first, it's just how society has changed over the, God, the novel is what, like 45 years old, 40 years old, something like that. Now I can't, yeah. I can't even remember, but it's yeah. almost as old as I am, I think. So it's just yeah. nice to see. 
I, I, I agree. I, I think at the same time, it's important to remember that like, it's important that, yes. that these stories are out there and it's important that it is so, you know, present. And, and it like, I really do think it is. And, and, you know, sometimes we get lost in our, our insular bubbles. Like I'm, I'm in a pretty progressive bubble and, you know, sometimes yeah. I get lost in it, but the, a lot of the world isn't. And, and like, there are still a lot of parts of the world where you couldn't show this, you know, there are countries where, you know, of course this would not get shown. Right. And it's important, I think, social progress wise for us to keep fighting that and keep putting stories out there that, that do fight that. Um, yeah. I just think it's, it's like, we've made a lot of progress. Yes. But like, we can't rest on our laurels. Oh, we're not there yet. It's and not yeah, over. We, we got to keep pushing things like that. It's, um, it's been very easy as a socially progressive person to look at the last couple of years and feel very defeated by it. Um, and you know, you, feel like we're heading in the wrong direction, wrong direction. But then there's these little things, these benchmarks along the way that are a reminder that the world has gotten better, that the world is a in a lot of ways. And yes, there's a shit ton of work still to do, but there has probably never been a better time for those outsider kids that are just coming up now. And I'm just, I'm glad that they have art like this that they can look to and feel seen, which is so important. Yeah. But... Thank you so much for taking the time to do this today, man. I really do appreciate it. Uh, congratulations on the show. It's great. I'm sorry for kind of going off on some tangents here that are outside I of loved the it. Uh, I had so much photography fun. piece. Yeah, that was great. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. So I'm looking forward to whatever you have coming down the pike next. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Right. Thank you for taking time. Thank you, yeah. Katie. I appreciate it. No problem. Christopher, let me know um, if you need art and everything and I'll send it to you. And I just want to say... I'm 36 and I read the book in eighth grade for the first time too. So <laughs> yeah, yeah cool the, the, uh, us weirdos need this book in eighth grade. So it's just <laughs> yeah. deeply helpful. Yeah. All right, nice. guys. And, and by the way, I feel like I need to redecorate my room after looking at the two of yours. Cause I feel like I just need uh, better stuff behind me to show off at this point, especially behind you, Jesse. Cause goddamn, Yeah. I, I need to work. I need to up my, uh, my zoom game. At this point, <laughs> yeah, we're all we're all um, shamed by Jesse's beautiful background. <laughs> For sure. Thanks, guys. This, this was a this was like I I moved where my desk was semi recently, and and I was on a Zoom with a friend, and they're like, "That's a fucking cool background." And I was like, "Yeah, I guess so." <laughs> <laughs> oh come on, you had to know. <laughs> I mean, sure, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Time enough to figure you out. Time enough to write this down. Wish me luck. Give me hope.
always crack.